Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, I am uh, leaving the Bay Area once again. I now have transitioned to a full nomad life with no apartment. So uh, I'm excited to to get on to my next journey and uh, continuing this weird year. How about you? Wait, so you're just going from, from like apartment to apartment as you see fit? How's that working out? Yeah, you know, parents' house, girlfriend's parents' house, ah. different cities, Airbnbs. Yeah, just popping around. Okay, so but you're not going anywhere in particular. You're just getting bored and then moving on to the next place. Uh, I mean, it's uh, you know, I, I'm usually just planning one spot at a time. So Nashville is next, and then after that, going to New York. So nice, nice. Yeah. Manhattan. Yeah, we'll report back on uh, what's yeah. it, what's it like in uh, in New York City. Uh, yeah. Any well, of uh, let us know if there's any survivors. All right. <laughs> I'm sure there are. Uh, <laughs> let me know uh, if any of the fans watching if y'all in New York uh, mid November holler. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today, Christian? Um, yeah, we're talk- a whole bunch of shit came up. Uh, we can start with talking about Square. Didn't mm-hmm. take very much long longer after MicroStrategy for our favorite Bitcoin company to uh, right. Mm-hmm. To uh, to jump in as well. Uh, this time, though, I think uh, a key difference is while Square has been clearly pro Bitcoin for a long time, uh, they do have a a much different board dynamic than MicroStrategy. So it would have mm. taken a little bit more than just uh, one guy, you know, right. pounding his fists on the on the desk and saying yeah. we're buying Bitcoin. Right. Okay. So yeah, that was my critique of the MicroStrategy, like, oh, MicroStrategy public companies buying Bitcoin. Like, and it turns out it's just like this one guy who like controls the whole company who just said that he's going to do this thing. So, you know, wh- while it's still cool, you know, put, put one on, put one on the, on the scoreboard for public companies that buy Bitcoin, it wasn't as cool as like a bunch of people and for that lead a company all electing to buy Bitcoin. But you're saying that that's exactly what Square is. It's like, okay, now we have two companies that have Bitcoin on their balance sheets that are also public companies. And there's also like a board of directors that like this must approve by, which again, that's super cool. I will throw in the, you know, the, this isn't that big of a deal take though, because obviously it's Square. Obviously it's Jack Dorsey's company. Like it's still like the low hanging fruit of public companies, but still like we're still picking at the fruit on the tree. Right. And so at the end of the day, like, you know, two on the board. Well, there's actually a lot more than two on the board and it really just depends on uh, which countries you count. But uh, there's a great website called the BitcoinTreasuries.org. Um, and there are now 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 public companies traded across global stock markets that hold Bitcoin on their treasury and just short of 600,000 Bitcoins held or at least reported. Yeah. Um, this also includes Grayscale, which mm-hmm. is 450. Right. A uh, thousand of that. So I don't, I don't think you get to count that, grayscale. Then... You don't get to you don't you don't get to count grayscale because that's like the for the whole point. Yeah. Of it. Well, that's what this whole. The, so I mean, if you take that out, then you're you're talking about one hundred fifty thousand bitcoins yeah. that are mm-hmm. held by companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that's pretty that's pretty awesome. Uh, if you don't count grayscale, then you're you're talking about two in the U.S., uh, one, two, three, four, five in Canada. So Canadians are getting mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. on Bitcoin, and then. Uh, CoinShares slash XBT provider, which is uh, out of the European stock market. Interesting. Okay. How, how many BTC did you say was owned by public companies? So if you subtract uh, Grayscale, you're looking at about 150,000 BTC. 150,000 BTC. All right. I'm pulling yeah. up BTC on Ethereum.com right now to, to <laughs> figure out how many BTC is on Ethereum. Uh, it might not be more than the aggregate, but I think it's more than any one particular company. Uh, so I always think that that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, the other thing, uh, okay, there's a hundred or, or how about Binance? Like what, what Ethereum is competing against is, or DeFi mm-hmm. is competing against exchange ecosystem. And then Ethereum is competing against, you know, cloud computing infrastructure. So I, think I don't know. It, against a lot of things, which is actually where I want to go to next. But there's 131,000 BTC on Ethereum. So coming coming right in behind the aggregate BTC owned by by uh, public companies, and you know you know Jack Jack is far famous. behind Grayscale. 
Well, yeah, but, but Grayscale is like not even the same category. Like Grayscale is like the to put BTC on the public market for that's for the sake of doing that, right? Like, I mean, are you just trying to quantify <laughs> what is sucking up the most BTC? I guess so. I guess. To, I guess. I guess we're just making what you're trying to quantify. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. There's like no. There's no like coherent way to like compare it. And, but uh, other than numbers, I guess. Um, uh, okay, so so here's my take with with Jack Dorsey and Square, right? Because like Jack Dorsey is a famous anti shitcoiner, right? Like more or less, more or less a, a typical Bitcoin Maxi. Uh, and you know, all the Bitcoiners love this. We're like, yeah, fuck yeah, Jack. Like you know, Bitcoin first, Bitcoin for Square, Bitcoin payments. Like shitcoins are shitcoins. Yeah, except Square and Bitcoin are totally complementary like products, right? Like Square is a payment processor. And if there's one thing we noticed uh, going through the 2013 through 2015 through the scaling debates for Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is not a payment rail. So insofar, it's a store of value, right? So Bitcoin needs payment rails like Square in order to scale. And Square, or Square is totally fine with Bitcoin, like being a payment provider for Bitcoin because Bitcoin needs that service provided for it, right? Uh, and then Ethereum is actually direct competition to uh, to Square because Ethereum is offering payment rails natively in inside of its ecosystem, both with Bitcoin and with stable coins, any, any other asset you want to think about. And so like no shit like Bitcoin or Jack Dorsey doesn't care about Ethereum and thinks that it's a joke. It's because it totally just competes with the value proposition of his company. I mean, I think that's a stretch. I think that people use Ethereum in really unscalable, stupid ways. And therefore, you can say that it competes with everything. But that doesn't mean it actually competes with anything or uh, something in particular. Um, and I mean, I think if you think that Ethereum is a payment solution, then you should refer to Nick uh, Nick Carter's uh, mm-hmm. Nick Carter's article where he talks about like, you know, Tether usage of under $500 transactions and what happened to that as soon as uh, Ethereum fees... Uh, started spiking um those transactions will went elsewhere mm-hmm. and uh we haven't i mean i'm i'm kind of curious how many of those transactions stay on ethereum right, um, right or 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 you know return back to ethereum after they've migrated and the rails have been built on you know other shit centralized infrastructure yeah so we actually had nick carter on the bankless podcast for an episode that we haven't released yet that talked directly about this right and so like the, the, what's being referenced here is that like there's a bunch of transactional demand and that fills up the base L1 chain. And there's so much transactional demand that it overflows, right? Like, and so where does the overflow go? Uh, it's, and so as, as the cup is filled with, you know, as the blocks are filled with transactional demand, really that, that puts, uh, you know, pressure on fees. Fees go up. And then apparently from what Nick noticed is that, um, people, transactors, are really sensitive to fees. And so therefore, they, as fees go up, people will uh, um, be very sensitive to that and not transact uh, like above a certain ratio of fee to value being transferred, right? And so as an L1 chain, uh, like all and all L1 chains would be, it's like they start to like carry the big load of economic activity, right? But the difference with Ethereum and Bitcoin is that when it overflows, Ethereum has like reservoirs to still capture that economic activity, such as like the XDAI chain or the ZK um, or the Loop Ring payments chain or any other the rollup chains that are coming out. And so like we can still keep transactional uh, uh, transaction volume on at least under the security assumptions of the ethereum blockchain using these secondary scaling solutions whereas you know you know bitcoin would do have this overflow satisfied by lightning um but i think it's being more satisfied by companies like square that's the value proposition of square in the first place well square's not offering it at all yet because i mean i guess in terms of buying and selling for fiat i can't send you bitcoin on on uh no, that's an on-chain transaction. Oh, really? Oh. So, I mean, Square has yet to compete with any sort of like, or provide any sort of Bitcoin payment infrastructure. Mm. Like people have been bullish that, you know, they're going to open up their payments infrastructure for it. But I, don't know why that I would say that, but people don't want to spend Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin's monetary unit is way too attractive right now. And mm-hmm. the only people who are spending it are people who are like earning it. And that ecosystem is still relatively small compared to the ecosystem of, you know, fiat value that's trying to enter into the Bitcoin ecosystem, if that makes sense. So, uh, I mean, like, I just don't buy the payment rail narrative yet. And, uh, you know, Lightning has been developed, like you said, and we're, we're, we've yet to see 
um, you know, massive volumes of demand for for payments. It's just Bitcoin's current life cycle of where it's at, the asset is at is it is a speculative store of value. Um, and we're seeing... You want, you want to maximize your video? Sorry. Yeah, sure. Sure. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We're maximizing on you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a speculative store of value. And um, there, like, I, I think like Bitcoin as a unit of value needs to evolve and grow a lot more before it even makes sense to talk about payment rails. So, you know, I kind of get what you're like trying to draw here, but I just don't think it matters at all in the, the grand scheme of what Jack is thinking about. Like, he's not thinking about, uh, oh, man, like Bitcoin fits right into what my company sure. does well already. I really don't think that he's thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, but at some point in Bitcoin's evolution, like it needs to be used for payments, right? Like you can't just have this thing just be a store of value because value is relational, relational, and therefore there needs to be relations, right? And that means transactions. Uh, and, and so like, sh- sure, you can yeah. say it's like inappropriate. But you need people to, dis- you need people to demand Bitcoin as payment. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not from the supply side. It's from the demand side. Right. Yes. And that, but, that but number I mean, people a, is a, growing. It's a, it's it has a, to do with people who value the unit. And that just, it takes time yeah. for that, to that, to, to move. It takes right, liquidity too. There's nothing to, there's no reason why these things can't happen in parallel, right? It's not like we have to be like, no, we can't do payments because first we have to do value. And like, no, you like part of the, part of the value of these systems is that, you know, a lot of these things can happen together as one like seamless ecosystem. And so like we can develop the payments, which will make Bitcoin more valuable because of the payments being developed. Yeah. But again, it's like you have to get people to do stuff and they won't do it until they're ready. Right. They just won't. And on top of that, like let's talk about Bitcoin as a financial infrastructure for payments. Mm -hmm. What Bitcoin is really useful for now is Bitcoin has so many trading pairs that it is really become this universal clearing layer for value. And like, it's, it's like extremely liquid on dollars, but it's really liquid on really random shit too. That is not liquid against anything else really like, uh, you know, what's it called? Venezuelan boulevards. Mm -hmm. Like Bitcoin is one of the most liquid things against Venezuelan boulevards. If you want to get into boulevards at this point, one of the easiest ways is to, Take your currency, sell for Bitcoin, take Bitcoin, buy boulevards with it. That's one of the best ways to do it. So we're seeing companies like this one out of Colombia called Value, B-A-L-I-U, where what they do is all they do is they do bank to bank transfers in South America. But the way that they do it on the back end is they buy and sell against mm-hmm. Bitcoin. And right. Paxful is really they do that in a like much more of a P2P way. But that's mm-hmm. Paxful's entire business model as well as. Bitcoin as a as the liquidity source to buy and sell things against. So mm-hmm. um, yes, it's it, like think of it like almost like P to contract. It's P to Bitcoin in terms of like right. trading liquidity, um, mm-hmm. and like that's that I see that as happening much much sooner than like payments inside of a first world country. It's just yeah. like I would in order of operations. It, it that it makes more sense that way. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that take. Uh, the only thing I would bring up is that, do you think that Bitcoin's moat can hold against like a USDT or USDC assets that is leveraged in this place? Uh, no, because the dollar is already the global reserve currency and that's what people already want right now. Right. But the dollar also has a shitload of things wrong with it. And guess what's next? Bitcoin. But people in these countries that you just cited want dollars more than they want Bitcoin. I feel now, like I can... But yeah, the, now, there's a yes, lot of right things now, that are wrong yes. with the dollar. That's the whole point is like, yeah. Well, there's USD, a lot of things wrong with Bitcoin. Not as a monetary unit. As a monetary yeah, unit. Yeah, it's, it's super volatile. People don't, people don't want that. Well, it's volatility changes as it grows too. It gets lower. Right. So later, but not now. People want dollars now. I mean, yes. Like, like they are only using Bitcoin on Paxful because mm-hmm. they need to. Mm-hmm. Like... Tether is taking over a lot of that for right. sure, yes. for sure. And yeah. but there's again, there's a lot of things that are wrong with Tether. And like, if you were to say, okay, what's going to replace a USD coin after a USD coin as global reserve currency? Mm. What I, I really don't see anything else after Bitcoin. Like, Bitcoin's the next thing. Is the next most liquid thing? 
Yeah, but that's that's like a, a multi-decade-long process. I don't know, man. I think like it's a the dollar is only going to become more in demand, not less. Like it's going to be the dollar that kills other fiat currencies, not Bitcoin. I mean, I would Bitcoin say might both. kill the dollar, both. but it's not going to do that for decades. Well, you know, I would say that generally speaking, altcoiners believe that it's going to take a lot longer, and Bitcoiners think that it's going to be really fast. That's I'm a, a thread. about that. <laughs> It's a common thread. And I, I think it's going to be fast. Like, again, it's uh, the party has just started. MicroStrategies and, and Square have just entered, just started the dance party. And uh, we're going to see everyone else running in, too. And there's just not a lot of Bitcoins out there. These parties are not the same as the people transacting on, on uh, Paxful in, like, Venezuela, right? These are not the same groups of people. With, they have different interests. Yeah, but these are the, these big companies holding Bitcoin is how Bitcoin becomes more stable. Yes, like it's a virtuous cycle. So, yes. like yes, Square holding Bitcoin and investing in Bitcoin development and creating Square Crypto and doing mm-hmm. all of those things helps the people in Venezuela in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah, but the dollar can help them in the short term, not in the long term. Well, and, that, and that's what's that's and that's why I brought up the, the subject. Like, well. I I think like well the the only reason that Bitcoin is like so liquid because of it's got its Lindy effect whereas like USDC and Tether on on its payment rails are are a lot newer in relationship to to Bitcoin which is like a decade old. Uh, and yeah. So, okay. But but they're still part of the permission system. People don't USDC, give a fuck about that. People don't give yeah, a fuck but, about that. But guess what? The permission system can censor you. Paxful had to pull out of until it does. But, but they did. They had to pull out because they're a U.S.-based company. So you don't think that USDC is going to black is going to blacklist addresses that are known to be huge liquidity providers in Venezuela? Yes, it's like I don't think it, it, it matters because they'll just use a different one because there's so many different options to choose from, and like you don't know who's who's transacting. How about if are frozen? How about the those USDCs are frozen? And we use Dai. That's why we have Dai. But and like the USDC and and, and Tether have been freezing the funds. Same way. They have been freezing funds. Absolutely. Very, very, very little. Not on the scale that like it, like Look, something. You like say they're not doing it, and guess guess what? You you, you say they're not doing it mm-hmm. until they do it, and then guess what? That proves a point for Bitcoin. No, they're it not proves doing it until they do it. And they put- die. <laughs> It is not. It doesn't just being having having your like white it's, your address whitelisted. Dissidents want Bitcoin. It just wants you want different dollars. No, the cognitive dissidence between like ETH heads who like push for things like die and not understanding that the dollar is incredibly broken is just beyond me. I just don't understand that. Like, yes, the dollar is the dominant system, but why are we doing this in the beginning? Because the dollar is a garbage system. The it's dollar not, as a unit is trash. The, the saying trash. the dollar is trash just comes from a place of like first world privilege. I mean, look, the dollar is extremely liquid, but that should make you appreciate like what the value of something that is liquid and is like in a very strong place and is how hard it is to uproot that. Yeah. There there are no do- stable coin competitors to Bitcoin that that even come close to its censorship resistance. So when DAI is at the place where Tether is, where it's actually becoming a global like mm-hmm. transfer layer for value, then we can talk. But until that happens, I'll look at USDC and I'll look at Tether and be like, great. All they are is bringing value into Cryptoverse, which is fantastic for Bitcoin, which is the best unit of account within the Cryptoverse. Until I see something that is actually censorship resistant that's in that place, I'm not scared. The the moat that okay let, let's move on to another subject otherwise we're going to stick on this one for the whole rest of the time I think we exhausted it um, I don't think it's exhausted I think you should give me your pushback it's just it's just what what we need to settle is how much these people that are interested in transacting on permissionless like and you know permissionless is a spectrum and trustlessness is a spectrum but like largely wait are you there oh yeah there you are okay sorry i'm here yeah sorry <laughs> uh you blended in with my never mind uh is how much it's how much to a degree that these people want to use the dollars as a store of value versus bitcoin as a, as a store of value because like your opinion that like dollar the dollar is trash 
is like a largely a very Bitcoiner esque position, not a position from somebody who's transacting in like Africa or Southern America. They don't have opinions as to whether the, the dollar is trash or not. They just know that they want it. And like, and Bitcoiners love to talk about like the Bitcoin brand and like, you know, people are going in the Bitcoin brand, it's going to compound faster than any other crypto asset, but like it's going to get up against the dollar, which has the best brand of all time as a money. Yeah, except that the dollar is destroying itself in real time. Like, how are you? How, again, the way this that. Is just, no one thinks it, that. But fundamentals eventually instantiate themselves into reality. And there's a lot of things that are wrong Decades. with the dollar. Decades. It's been decades. Like you, again, the cognitive dissonance here. Pay attention to some of the macro people that are actually pointing out all of these massive cracks in the dollar system. Do you know what the repo system is? Do you know what the repo market is? Vaguely, vaguely not really. Okay, it's, so, like, it's like very, very sh- micro, micro short-term lending with large amounts based off of. Uh, well, it's not micro. It's yeah, it's short-term. Micro, it's overnight lending. Yeah, yeah overnight right. lending for banks, right? Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. like so that that is the credit market. Like mm-hmm. that's how that that is the base. That is the that is the blockchain of 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 the fiat system. Okay. That why is like, that the base? Th- that is the base layer. That's how the banks get their the, the money that's how they get the money and keep their books good and then mm. th- then they continue operations each day after clearing in the repo markets okay okay, okay. so like that like if you were to compare that to the base of a crypto system like mm-hmm. ethereum or bitcoin that's the blockchain that mm-hmm. has been that's that has essentially been manually like being cleared by the fed sent for over a year now so mm-hmm. like imagine if vitalik has to go in and validate every single ethereum block for since last april or sorry since last november mm-hmm. like okay. that would that is the state of the fed right now it is not clearing on its own the, the repo market is being pushed along right. by central planners so like sure. the system is literally broken underneath itself so imagine you're living in ethereum you're living on layer seven mm-hmm. everyone's transacting on layer seven but the blocks aren't clearing because of the miners, because of the stakers. That is the current state of the financial system. Except, except, except the blocks are clearing because the Fed's doing it. Okay, well, I mean, they're not clearing by, because of anything market-driven right, by any means. Like, sure, it's completely yeah, pathetic at this point. So, again, like, yes, imagine if, Vitalik, but imagine if Vitalik is the one who's clearing the blocks, uh-huh. like, at the bottom. Would you say that the system is healthy? Would you say that, like, right. the foundation of the system is in a good place? Because, again, that is the current state of the dollar. So it's like, hey, this is the house we're all living in. The foundation is is crumbling under our feet. But guess what? The room is still there for now. You know, right. slowly but surely, it's, it's going to fall apart. But, yeah, you can't, you can't take how these systems could be constructed if they were a crypto economic blockchain system and then carry those values into the Federal Reserve and say, like, the Federal Reserve should be like this. Because the reason why we like these things to operate is because they are what they are. But the Federal Reserve is the Federal Reserve. Like central planning for, you know, while we think it's like shitty, like it also works like in some instances. And I think actually it's actually going to be great for whatever the Federal Reserve needs to do as a matchmaker between banks. Like I don't see why they can't keep on doing that. Like they can just print more money. They can just do it forever. You see the people in the streets in Seattle? They're 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 fighting because of something like that they think that they're fighting for, but what they're actually fighting for, are fighting about, or upset about, is that the fabric of society, aka our money system, is completely distorted. That is such a leap. So, like that's that's literally like no, fix the money, fix the world. Like what what do you, why do you do what you do? Like ninety percent of what people will say that ninety like, percent of people spend eighty percent of their time going after money. That's the reality. Yes. So if the driving factor beneath that is like in a state of complete and utter disarray. That's, that's a subjective that opinion. It, it, it destroys the fabric of society. It really that's does. And we're seeing it. It's, itself. Not. it's clearly working. It's working. Like, yeah. It's just the, wor- like the world is working like, great right now. Well, it's not because of the COVID. No, I mean, I would say that LART... I would say that largely what we're dealing with today is because of law, like this is the long-term implications of central planning and COVID is just one thing that has happened. Yes. I like, I see how connect like the, the fed being the annual matchmaker between banks to 
how like somebody in Venezuela might prefer Bitcoin over the dollar. But like still, it's one of those things that like it requires so many steps. It's just it's and like there's so many easier, much more Occam's razor aligned reasons as to why somebody would want a dollar like today. And like I, I like I see all your puzzles pieces uh, puzzle pieces and i see them all there but i don't see them like just instantly just falling into place in this in the, in the way that i'm hearing you communicate it okay well so i would push back and the reason why people want dollars today is because the dollars are the most liquid currency in the world the, the, um, well no i That's think if you're, if you're a fiat currency it's because like the dollar holds its value way way better than your fiat currency does well why does it do that because everyone wants it. No, because, well, yeah, okay, so what, what, if, if you are the most saleable good, you are also the most liquid good, and you are the most saleable good because you're the most liquid good. It's that, vir- it's that reinforcing mm-hmm. thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, how do you break that? Once you're in that position, how do you break it? Well, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of my thesis. I don't really think there's a good answer to that. I think the dollar is just kind of stuck. Yeah, it just takes, it literally takes long-term fucking up. (laughs) And what I'm saying is that that has been what's happening for the past 30 years. So I'm not saying that... It could happen for 30 more years. It could, but Bitcoin exists now. There was literally no other alternative before now. Yeah, but also... But also Ethereum offers like rails for the dollar to keep itself injected into every nook and cranny in the world. See, I, I think that you like. I agree that the do, like the crypto tokens, the dollar IOUs on on Ethereum and mm-hmm. other blockchains, like that is the the dollar being upgraded. Yeah, but its unit is still deeply, deeply flawed. And we can go back to why Michael Saylor bought all that Bitcoin. It's because holding dollars is shit for him. The right. dollar doesn't work for holding. So, like, there's already literally one fundamental pillar of money that is utterly useless with the dollar now. So like when, in, when are the under fundamental in that the store of value, what I said is the foundation of what comes first for Bitcoin monetizing that, that very foundation is no longer available in the dollar. So mm-hmm. like what happens next? Oh, guess what? It's the unit of account and the medium of exchange that crumbles next. So Okay, whatever. You can continue being used for high velocity crap payments on whatever infrastructure you want, but ultimately uh, at the at the base, the unit is broken. And we know that. And that's why Michael Saylor is breaking the dam on Bitcoin uh, on companies buying Bitcoin because a lot of companies have dollar problems. They're holding too many dollars and their dollars are burning away. They need something that's going to store value. Yeah. But, yeah. Bitcoin isn't the only option to serve that need, like, first off. According like, to Michael, it is. <laughs> yeah, according to this guy. Yeah, yeah he, I mean, he, he, he was not a Bitcoiner until, like, 45 days ago. Yeah, apparently he also has, like, a failing company, and, like, this is... I just saw this from a tweet. I had no idea. I haven't verified I mean, it was like an irrelevant company, yes. It was a relevant company with shitloads of cash. How many of those exist? Oh, guess what? Every single company that just got bailed out by the gov. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's a failing company. I know know that you are very convinced about this thesis, and like like, again, like all all the puzzle pieces that you articulate, I do believe all of them exist. But like you, and like there's not just like this massive like population of people that are ready to like onboard into this into this thesis. And I know that they don't have to understand it in order to like participate in it. But like, there's a lot of subjective and. Uh, assumptions being made that like you know b- the dollar is just going to all of a sudden crumble at one point in time and then and then bitcoin will have taken its place like yeah, i don't it's, i don't it's not that will have some point crumbled it is crumbling 2008 was the that's top a, of global no that's the, by many economic measures it is crumbling it the, the it is falling apart interest rates are close to zero like what else like that right there is screaming. There's something desperately wrong with our money. How, how is interest rates close to zero signaling that? I mean, interest rates close to zero means that your money is worthless. That means it is free to get your money, right? Interest rate is the price of money. So oh. if it costs zero to borrow money, that means it's 
getting money is is easy and cheap. Okay, mm-hmm. so take anything and divide it by infinite, it, you get zero. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole point of if the store of value function of money is starts to collapse, the other things start to fall after that. That's the foundation. Hey, guess why all these con- countries like the dollar? Because it's stable and liquid. Well, guess what? If you can't reliably hold your value in it, then mm-hmm. you're going to move out of it. And that creates a, that increases volatility. That increases uh, that increases uh, the uh, was it, what, what am I blanking on? Uh, the the risk of holding, yeah, it, it increases the risk of holding it. Um, you know, it makes it less good of a money, and then it, it just starts to break down. And I don't know how quickly it's going to break down. I'm not saying it's going to break down in the next ten years. I think that the dollar and Bitcoin are going to crush everything in front of them. But guess okay. what? That just paves the world for now. You get to choose permission dollar or permissionless Bitcoin. Okay, so here's where I think the crux of my hesitation lies, is that, like, okay, thesis behind the dollar crumbling, like, has merit, has weight. Uh, but there isn't, therefore, this thing that, therefore, Bitcoin, right? Like, there's just, therefore, other, therefore other currencies, there are other assets. And, like, I, I remember something that you said, like, on a different POV crypto podcast, and something I think we've seen reflected elsewhere, it's like, assets in general have been bullish since COVID. Right, like assets have done well as a class, which is the whole thing. Like owning owning assets, not non depreciating assets, like that aren't like a, not your car, but like stocks, equities. You know, assets at large are bullish, right? And maybe that's because like the way exactly what you are saying about the dollar, the dollar is falling apart, and therefore everything since the dollar is priced against everything, every other asset in the world, therefore it's going to every other asset in the world, right? I don't think there's, you're going to have a hard time uh, convincing like the whole world is that, that, that the logical next step is therefore Bitcoin when there are literally every other asset in the world to them. Yeah, but all those other assets are shit monies. Yeah, okay, you, you go convince them of that. I don't have to. Like, why did Michael Saylor buy Bitcoin after going down the rabbit hole for 30 days? Again, like the information is out there, the reality that it's extremely liquid and that he could buy half a million dollars without moving the price until he announced it. Like, he could have moved the price. His average price was 11000 and when he announced it, the price was 10300 So, I mean... <laughs> yeah, but like it could have been like 10300 when he started buying in the first place. Okay, well, I mean... Whatever. No, we don't really know that. Like, again, okay. like not, not so knowing. Point, is, point, point where he started buying it. If you can tell me yeah. that you know when he started buying it, then I think point. Bitcoin is liquid enough. That's, that's the whole, I think that's the point. Is that's that you point. can't be like, he started buying right here. It's super obvious. Like, it's not right. like, oh, wow, we can see on the Ethereum blockchain when Muni was, when Muni got created because there's so right. much freaking activity that's stimulated from that. It just jumped off. It's like, that's not what happened. Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, a lot of a lot of companies looking at like, wow, like what other asset can we buy that mm-hmm. you know we can put half a billion in, and you know no one sees it, or at, you know at least it's invisible. So, dude, again, like Bitcoin Tina talks about this. Like, what makes a good money is it's not this this delusion. And I, I know on the I'm I'm zoomed in on you. It's not this delusion. It's not this universal delusion. It is actual properties. Why did gold beat out silver? It's actual properties in gold that made it a better money than silver. So Bitcoin has current properties right now that make it the best money in the world. And it's part of that has to do with liquidity. Part of that has to do with permissionless. Part of that had to do with all the trading pairs that are against it. It just where it is right now puts in a fantastic position. And I just don't like bringing it back to Ethereum. Like Ethereum is a fantastic platform, but I just don't see it as a monetary unit advancing like Bitcoin is. Yeah, that's that's because Ethereum is a monetary unit and many other things as well that like it's not wholly a monetary unit. It's also other things. Um, It's more of an asset than an monetary unit, I I would say. I don't have any other things to, to say to what what you were saying. So let's just assume that Ethereans and Bitcoiners are maximally right mm. in that world. Yep. Where does the value, where does the value end up? Not that ETH goes to shit, not that Bitcoin goes to shit. Both are maximally successful. Both are extremely successful. Where's the value captured? That's what I'm just kind of curious. 
I think, it, it, I mean, it's hard to say. But like in it's a world where Ethereum is maximally right, like a significant amount um, of the value of BTC is on Ethereum. And 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 when the value of a token is on Ethereum, that weight goes down to what is like the center point of Ethereum, which is Ether the asset. And so like based on that logic, therefore Ether the asset. All right. I mean, I don't have a, I don't, I don't understand Ethereum's value capture mechanisms, at least the ones that will, will exist when Ethereum is this maximally successful thing. So that's why I just question it. Like, can the Ethereum blockchain, can ERC20 standards, can all of these things be maximally used without Ethereum being the global reserve um, unit of account for the world? I don't know. I don't think it would be like the canonical one single global unit of account reserve asset. I don't think it would really be that. I think it would largely be that more-ish, like 60-80% of that for Ethereum itself, and then maybe lesser for the rest of the world. But that's just like one part of Ethereum side. That's just like the store value side, where there's also the capital asset side, where you gain value, you gain fees based on the economic activity of what's going on on Ethereum, right? Uh, and then, uh, what else is there? Capital asset, SOV, yeah, and what's the third? Which is, which is, I guess, the, oh, yeah. de- the deflation of Ether because of fees. Uh, yeah, so there's issuance, there's issuance for the stake and, and deletion for everyone else, right? And so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. We, we never had an asset that's like that, right? Bitcoin right. is strictly a monetary asset. And I think like right. the cognitive dissonance between uh, both sides reflects the, the difference between what's a technological revolution versus what's a monetary revolution. Like but even... You make a mistake. Like any, any and every blockchain that has full blocks is a monetary slash financial blockchain, right? So it's incorrect to say that if it's not money... money because, well, without that, then the blockchain wouldn't work at all. Well, I would say that Ethereum as a, we will have the supply that makes the technology work mm-hmm. is a different type of thing than Bitcoin, which is a, what happens if we have the first absolutely scarce thing ever? Because right. like, no, even if Ethereum is like decreasing in supply, that's, that's a different thing than you know, absolute scarcity, which is just a, a, a solid, a finite number. Right. Um, and then that, that doesn't go into any of like, does the game theory break in the technological network that supports it? Like that's a whole nother conversation. But I, I just think that the, really the thing that's being tested is kind of different. And the, the, the revolutionary thing is different. And that's what I'm saying. If they're both, if they both a hundred percent work, what, what matters more, the decentralized computing network of the world or, like the, the like the measuring stick for value, the decentralized computing network of the world that importantly computes all of the value of the world, which is I really. Mean, but how do you again? How do you measure it, right? Because if it's denominated in BTC, then then what? I just don't know. Like, it, like it, the, the Bitcoin measures the value of the world. Then, like. I just don't understand, you know, how okay, there's the thing more about, units than that. So the, the thing about Ethereum is that like there can be any monetary standard world and it can still be hosted on Ethereum, right? And so yeah. like and so to me that's just like is thumb war. And so like sure there could be any monetary standard. Monetary standards could come and go, but Ethereum will still be there, right? And so it doesn't matter what the monetary unit of the world is because it's still going to be settled on Ethereum using Ether the asset. And so, like, when you kind of apply that logic, at least to some degree, like, one group of people can express opinions about what the monetary asset might be or should be, and therefore they'll buy and purchase that asset. Or other people will see that logical connection and be like, well, fuck it, it's Ether. Whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, I just, first and foremost, I think it's a very, it's, it's a very long shot that all financial transactions are going to be settled on Ethereum. Uh, I, I actually predict that... Uh, as fees get more expensive that, you know, it's just going to continue to move away from Ethereum. 
Um, but we'll see I mean, if uh, the composability moat matters. Yeah. I mean, yeah, later two is there for a reason, right? And uh, Paulo uh, Arduino, the, the CTO of Tether, had very nice things to say about uh, ZK rollups and thinks they're very good for Ethereum. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ethereum world is super bullish on, on our rollup technology right now. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like uh, the obstacle is the way. If it's expensive mm-hmm. to get in a block, then uh, then you're going to figure out how to scale. But with that being said, Bitcoin went through that pain four years ago. And yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Bitcoin right now is settling the same amount of value that I was doing in 2018. But guess what? Fees are way, way cheaper. Bitcoin's actually a significantly more efficient chain at this point. In in that particular met- metric, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that? That's scaling using the block space. The obstacle yeah, scaling, is the way. Scaling for the rich boys, huh? Yeah, scaling for the rich boys. No, that's scaling for everyone because the exchanges aren't clogging up the blockchain. Everyone right. can use the chain cheaply. So that's diff- that's not correct. Batching is also becoming much more accessible too. Uh, fee estimation is much more accurate on a wallet basis. Like the entire Bitcoin ecosystem is so much more efficient now. And yeah. that's and it's I'm not, not saying because that because of something that Bitcoin did. It's because Bitcoin didn't do anything, and so there, therefore everyone changed around it. To that that is how efficient. that is yes. that's how yes. Bitcoin works. Yes, but that's how yes. Bitcoin works, yes. and that's also how Ethereum works. And the thing is, like with Ethereum. And, you- I wasn't saying as opposed to Ethereum. I'm saying Bitcoin already went through the, the, the fee pain last the, time. There's only so much you can do there because the, that's just you're, you're forcing everyone else to like scale around Bitcoin, which is a form of scaling. But they would be able to scale around Bitcoin if Bitcoin offered them more optionality. With no, this is, this is where you're wrong. Well, first and foremost, Bitcoin is offering more and more optionality as it goes. And so is Ethereum. Yeah, but what, you're seeing is the, what you're seeing is Bitcoin has solved the tragedy of the commons. The common space, the block mm-hmm. space, no one can long-term just dump their externalities onto it. Sure. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, and because of that, every actor, including the ones who've been pe- behaving the worst, got into shape, right? Mm-hmm. So that's right. that. That's how Bitcoin scales, is by solving the tragedy of the common and forcing... Yeah, it's not unique to Bitcoin, but Bitcoin, again, is here first. That's what's unique to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is perpetually scaling first, right? Bitcoin's going through the pains and going through the growing pains first. And then and when they come around the next time... It's, it's not Bitcoin, important. it's the people around it. That's a very yeah, important point. So, but no, but people are using Bitcoin much more efficiently. So when we're saying scaling, how can we plug X amount of economic activity onto Bitcoin? It's, it's a combination of many things. And if people are just doing the worst type of transactions and putting up the highest fee mm-hmm. without any sort of like best practice or any sort of infrastructure in, in order to enforce the, the best usage of the block space, uh, you're going to have a really bad result. But uh, it, in order to get everyone up to that knowledge gap to use it correctly, uh, there needs to be that pain first. And we're going to see people use Ethereum better in the future. Like people are learning how to use Ethereum better. And that's a thing about scaling that people, I think, forget. And they go to, oh, we have to change Ethereum. Oh, we have to change Bitcoin. Before Ethereum had the chance to go through pain, figure out best practices, and then continue to scale without some sort of massive change made to it that is potentially unnecessary. Right, so Bitcoin did not need to change in order to to settle twenty eighteen levels of value. So the the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is that Bitcoin the Bitcoin main chain blockchain doesn't scale. People just use it differently. That's more efficient, right? And if that continues to happen, that's called Bitcoin scaling. Okay, but you need to understand the the difference between what I'm talking about, where technically the blockchain actually does change in ways that allow for scale versus other people using it differently. And yes, both contribute to scaling, but they are fundamentally different things, right? I would, diff- I, would, so I would disagree. I would say for Bitcoin, the goal of scaling is getting as many people using it as possible, but making it as accessible to people as possible. And I would say Bitcoin is getting easier to download. It's getting Bitcoin easier. Goal. That's only possible option. That No, the goal is to decentralize the money system. That's it. So, but like, guess what? Bitcoin's scaling the other direction too. It's getting easier to download a node, not harder. It is easier to get a node now than it's ever been before. So- okay. 
Like, that's scaling. Unless we want, that's a whole new subject. No, I'm just saying it's scale. It's scaling transactionally. It's also scaling itself. It is replicating faster. Yes. It, 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 yes, it has the, the power to to do that. If you want to, but you're you're we we need to focus on one version of scaling. We can't just focus on all versions of scaling. There's many different ways to scale blockchain in many different ways. There's the community. There's the value. What are we going to focus on? We need to focus on international throughput. That's where we started this conversation. Okay. Okay. So there's two ways to scale transactional throughput. Make you people using it use it more efficiently. There's bundling. Uh, rollups falls into this category, and then there's actually changing the chain, right? Like variable block size, increasing block size. If so, if you want uh, block time, etc., or shards, right? And just there's no reason why these can't happen in parallel, right? Because shards will still become congested, right? Just because one shard is not congested doesn't mean other shards are also congested, right? And so the, the, the fundamental difference between Bitcoin is that at some point, Bitcoin, because it doesn't actually change, it forces people to change around it. And one of the things that people are going to do when they change around it is they're just going to go elsewhere. They're going to use Square. They're going to use centralized exchanges. Because while Bitcoin can be used more efficiently, it's also not providing any further options to keep economic activity on the actual Bitcoin blockchain. Because doing something differently is just as viable to like being more efficient with block space as it is just like uh, operating with a centralized exchange or a centralized payment provider or wherever, which we shouldn't have to, to go into why we don't want that. We, that was, we can talk about all the things we talked about earlier in the, in the podcast about why centralization, decentralization, and trustlessness is important. So therefore, you need to create optionality with how you that keeps and maintains the assurances of the L1 blockchain. And so when the Bitcoin blocks overflow, Bitcoin no longer captures that economic activity. When Ethereum blocks overflow, if we have something like ZK rollups and optimistic rollups and payment channels and whatever, all the optionality that we have with Ethereum, if that economic activity is retained by Ethereum. And so you fill up the block and it overflows into like L2 blocks, right? Which are still anchored into Ethereum rather than have it being anchored on something like PayPal, which is, and which again is centralized and has the ability to censor some tra- transactions. And we don't like that. And so the importance of having actual literal technical changes to how a blockchain functions in order to scale is complementary, And therefore uh, orders of, because you get both, these things can both people being more efficient with place and having L2 or secondary scaling solutions, that can compound upon itself. And, and, and when we talk about transactional capacity, it can be orders of magnitude far greater than, than Bitcoin, which is how you can end up coming to financial system. Or you can break it because you made a stupid centralized decision. Sure, you can do that too. <laughs> so I, I would say that this is where I would argue that there's a difference between being a monetary unit and being this technological platform. Because guess what? If Bitcoin doesn't have to experiment because Ethereum is. Because it can't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. If it was experimenting, it would become Ethereum. <laughs> no, but then the world would have, like, the world would have lesser options. But here's the thing. is like if Ethereum scales and is a payment layer for Bitcoin, that doesn't change 21 million. That doesn't change the UTXO set. Hmm. All of those centralized things that plug into Bitcoin, eventually, guess what? Those Bitcoins are proved on the Bitcoin blockchain. So even if, like, if you are giving PayPal the keys, like, you know, obviously you are giving up the censorship resistance. And if Ethereum can figure out ways that you can transfer keys in or represent an investment or represent uh, a payment without giving up the keys, that's good for Bitcoin. Yeah, sorry, I, I keep forgetting to do this. That's good for Bitcoin. Like, that's still good for Bitcoin. Like, it, that doesn't change the Bitcoin monetary unit. So, like, Bitcoin's not trying to, like, hey, we need to get as much activity as possible on the chain for fees. That's not what we're thinking about at all. That's right. 0%. What The fees are, like, here's the thing. People pay enormous fees to buy and sell stores of value already today, Okay. And in order to get that on the Bitcoin blockchain, like there will be a fee included. And we don't know what the market rate is going to be for it yet in the future. But if Bitcoin is the global monetary measuring stick, then like fees aren't going to be an issue whatsoever. And guess what? If the current computer network mechanism breaks, we at least know what the UTXO set was. So 
I mean, we don't know what, I have no idea what, like what can happen from there, but we do know what the UTXO set is. Should I wrap it up? I have nothing further to add. Okay. Well, I do want to talk about DeFi because okay, things sure. are deflating really hard. I want to hear like from the, cause I only see the Twitter like FUD, like what's, mm-hmm. what's happening with Wi-Fi? Uh, okay. Well, I have my theory. Uh, there's a bunch of like more nuanced, more like more direct, like, uh, Andre said, you know, Twitter, I'm out. And then people interpreted that as he's leaving the, the project, but that wasn't true. He came out and clarified that, uh, oh, Blue, the Blue Kirby Twitter account, which started off as like the mascot of Wi-Fi, uh, turned out to be a huge bitch and scammed people with his good fucking ICO. Um, it, turn, it turns out it was like kind of a kid that found himself in way more money than he ever thought possible. Uh, that's my take there. But I think on a more fundamental level, there is uh, what what happened was something closer to aligned with what Nick Carter's article talked about. And Nick Carter's article that he recently put out, which I read on the Bankless YouTube channel, if you like people reading things to you, um, talked about how like there's a cyclicality, a two month cycle of block space saturation to fees um, for, for public permissionless blockchains, which are basically just Bitcoin and Ethereum. So he said he noticed this in 2017 with Bitcoin. And then when uh, when Nick said that he noticed that Ethereum fees were, were you know skyrocketing through the roof, that he was like, hmm, well, I wonder if that's going to happen. And so far, we're, we're kind of in this discovery process. It's like, is this actually a cycle that it is in Bitcoin? So to explain the cycle, uh, first, first, you know, blocks, blocks fill up and, and because blocks fill up, fees go up. And then because fees go up, you know, what Nick discovered is that people are generally sensitive to fees when they choose to transact value. And so as fees go up, people stop transacting less. Therefore, block space. Certain types of transactions get priced out. Certain types. Well, yeah, low, low value 10 tra- transactions tend to get priced out because why would you send $30 if it's going to cost you $10 to send that? Like, why would you do that? Right. Um, and so because, because the, the fees go up, people stop transacting. Therefore blocks empty out. Therefore fees go down. Therefore people start to transact again. Right. And so he said that he noticed the cycle play out over two month chunks, like six times in 2017. And then in Bitcoin. And then, uh, on Ethereum recently, fees went up to 4,000 or 400 guay, which are like astronomical. That's like like five to ten dollars simply just to send ether or something like that. It's crazy. Um, and so he was like, hmm, "I wonder if that's 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 going to to play out in Ethereum." And it totally did. But it was different about Ethereum versus Bitcoin is because have a lot of DeFi activity that uh, have some of the returns denominated in transactional capacity, right? Mainly both Wire and Uniswap. If people are transacting on Ethereum, there's a decent likelihood that they're transacting through Uniswap or they're doing something that Wiren uh, re- finds revenue from. Wiren's kind of like, um, I think it's the Berkshire Hathaway Warren Buffett quote where he's like, anytime like a Mac, a Big Mac gets purchased or anytime like something, something normal happens in America, like Berkshire Hathaway makes like a nickel or something. That's kind of like DeFi with wire, right? And so like there's a significant amount of economic activity that like if you do it, like you're, you're somehow paying a small fee to wire. Uh, and so like Uniswap and wire, in addition to the fees going on the main chain blockchain, also generate revenue from the fees inside of their protocol, right? And so Nick's hypothesis that when he saw ETH, uh, the GUI price on Ether to transact on Ether goes like through the moon, he was like, Okay, this if my previous theory about Bitcoin fee quality was correct in 2017, this is going to put the brakes on DeFi because people would be priced out and hit hit the brakes and not want to transact on Ethereum, right? And so I actually predicted this on the show too. I said people are just going to get priced out and eventually uh, retail will. At some yes, point, retail right. gets priced out. Right. Yeah. So the it's like a it's like a waterline, right? As as gas fees go higher and higher and higher, and, and retail gets priced out. And the thing is, like when retail gets priced out, well, even though like retail has like the lowest individual amount of capital per person, as uh, as a bunch as a as a cohort, they are pushing a lot of transactional volume through Uniswap, adding in fees into the Uniswap LPs, right? Also adding in fees into the Wire system. Uh, so as as retail gets priced out, and and then even more, even higher than that, as the waterline marches upward, people stop transacting on 
Uniswap, people stopped transacting on Ethereum and Wiren. And so the, the APY for, for Uniswap LPs and the APY for Wiren like falls, right? And, and you know, and then, and then people get bearish because they see it fall, uh, falling and wires at 40,000. And so people are like, well, that's a really high number and APYs are falling. So I'm going to sell. And at the same time, we have this concept of like the euthanasia roller coaster, which Suzu talks a lot about where like, okay, so we have this project and then someone forks it and then someone forks that and then someone forks that and then someone forks that. And then at the end of the result, you have a shit coin, right? You have a shit coin that's like inflated because like this shit coin just went to like $30 million market cap that's the kind of the signal that this whole thing is inflated. And so when we see prices go through the roof, we see people stop uh, transacting, APYs fall, people are thinking we're at the end of the euthanasia roller coaster, people uh, say, like, I'm out, and then prices start to fall. Yep. I mean, when it stops to make sense, people just say, I'm going to stop doing stuff because it stops. Right. Like, there's like no, there's, you know, mm-hmm. there's a level of like, well, it's just too crazy too expensive. You're like, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to hold out. I'm going to exit a little bit. And mm-hmm. I mean, so the, it remains to be seen whether we are going to reinflate or if, if, if we're just going to kind of just be flat for a long ass time, at least with regards to like DeFi and APY and yield farming and all that stuff. I don't know about yield farming. I don't know about the APY stuff, but I think that as long as, DeFi provides permissionless free trading with enough liquidity with tokens that people want. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a game that gets played. Yeah, we That's kind that. of have have so, locked that use case in for sure. Like, oh, so, but the thing is, is, like, maybe not, but like, we've definitely locked in trading. Yeah, no, but th- th- again, like, there are multiple. There's like three things: assets that people want. So mm-hmm. that's where the that's where the yield farming really helped. Is it added a lot? Like you know, there's a lot of dr- really dry, shitty ERC tokens that people don't want, that didn't people didn't give a shit about until the yield farming thing came out, and then that provided a whole new crop of great ones that had fundamentals that were new or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's assets. It's the KYC nature, KYC free nature and permissionlessness, mm-hmm. and then it's the. Uh, Again, it, I guess it's it's the uh, liquidity at a level that is attainable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are like the three. Those are like the three buckets, and I'm, I'm curious to see how long that DeFi continues to provide that competitively, or if, if other people find a way to provide that competitively um, to compete with DeFi. Yeah, I think like there, there's a number of, of liquidity projects, mainly Bounty Swap, that still have like a number of tricks up their sleeve with how to best construct a mechanism that provide liquidity and use it leverages liquidity in an optimal way. Um, I'm writing an article right now on balancer smart pools uh, that that is like has a bunch of different parameters and adjustments that you can make that can deem a, the the value or capital in a pool maximally uh, leverageable as liquidity. Right? And so and, and there's also Uniswap V3 as well. Uh, and then there's also aggregators, right? And so. I, I think the automated market maker is here to stay. And like now it's all about the infrastructure to make the the mesh network of uh, AMM contracts stitched together to be maximally liquid. I find, I think that Unis, the transition from Uniswap V2 to V3 and what the construct of V3 contract is in terms of like what power governance has is the most interesting story in DeFi. Right. Yeah, because I think that it's going to be more more programmable pools, more pools with like more flexible parameters. I'm very like I, I like the, it would be stupid of me to question Hayden's, uh, I guess his goal. Right, he wants to create a a beast. Right, I'm just kind of curious. Like governance is here now, so mm-hmm. governance wants is about power. Governance mm-hmm. is about uh, value extraction at at some point. You know. Yep. It is about right over the seniorage, so uh, I'm very interested to see how that if how that plays. I think that's the a, an accurate old way to view what these assets represent, like the equity assets over a company. And there's definitely there's definitely no reason to throw that out as well in, in these models. But specifically with a token, is meant to generate like a big tent mentality. And so, like, so it's like aligned incentives, right? And so, in theory, 
the governance token should be more aligned with the supply side and the demand side or the makers of a marketplace, right? So for every governance, there should be a marketplace probably. <clears throat> so, and what the token should do is it should balance out uh, the, the interest of it versus the interest of the makers. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and, and then have that fee be represented in the token somehow. Right. So like, well, that the, the flexibility and nimbleness of governance in equity assets on the, the, um, God, what's going on? And, uh, typical stock market, uh, I don't think that, that uh, commitment or, or, uh, you know, instinct to update to reflect the best interests of buy, the buyers and the sellers that uh, keeps on producing value in the governance. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, here's the thing that I'm starting to try to wrap my head around, right? Like, what if both sides of this are right, right? What if, like, the technological revolution that is enabled through Ethereum smart contracts and the monetary revolution that Bitcoin enables because of creating an actual, in, you know, finite asset, um, mm-hmm. you know, the first finite asset, what if they're both correct? Like, where is the value captured? Because I'm just kind of curious, like, is the new model of organizing and monetizing that organization versus, like, the new, you know, the zero of, of value um, measurement? And I'm referring to Robert Breedlove's article, Zero, where he compares, you know, the finiteness of Bitcoin to the discovery of the number zero. Fantastic article. Go Go read it or listen to it. Um, but yeah, I'm just, that, that's really where the crux of me thinking is, is right now. And I'm just, I'm, I'm very interested to see how it plays out. So, um, yeah, I think there's a good place to wrap it up though. Any last word from you? Yeah, I, I would agree that my, my take and I, my take at the beginning of this podcast has been like Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're both of the bull cases for Bitcoin and Ethereum are largely going to be both correct rather than either one or both being incorrect. So that's, that's where I'm placing my chips. Yeah, so the question is then, like, where's the value captured if they're both correct? But obviously, I guess you think right. it's, it's Ethereum. I, I, I think there's a reasonable case where there could be plenty of value in both assets. Like, the ratio between those two, I don't. I think, stays with the balance of 80-20. So on the inside of that, not the outside. Uh, you guys yeah. can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find the show at POV Crypto Pod. Make sure to give us those five-star reviews. Uh, David and I are super busy doing other shit, but we're trying to do one show a week and uh, eventually we're going to get back to doing the two shows a week and all the interviews and all that good stuff. But for now, I hope you uh, enjoy us bantering and doing uh, what we do best, which is uh, classic POV crypto fight nights. Okay, you can follow me at Trustless Date, both on Twitter and on Bankless. It's a fool, then it's a fool, you to decide.